the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, we made it to Friday. I'm a happy camper. Hope you are as well. The weekend looks like it's going to be fairly nice, uh, at least Saturday. Sunday looks like rain may be moving in again. Let's take a look. It's 38 degrees right now at uh, 7 minutes after 6. And looking at the uh, forecast for today, sunny, a high near 57. Tonight, clear, low around 36. Saturday, sunny. High of 62. Sunday, a 30% chance of rain. After noon, mostly cloudy, a high near 65 degrees. And then Monday, uh, looks like rain's coming in uh, Sunday night for Monday and then uh, Monday night as well. And it's going to be a wet Tuesday for uh, Election Day on Primary Day as, as well. So our high on Sunday, uh, about 58 degrees. So the temperature is mitigating. You know, Zach, I was checking my calendar, and a week from Sunday, hear me out real good, folks, that are listening right now. A week from Sunday, daylight savings time, we spring forward. That means our days will begin getting longer uh, as we move towards the summer. The first day of spring, I believe I saw, was the 13th of March. So winter is coming to an end. We're two, about two weeks away. Can't complain about that, I don't believe. That's good. Doesn't mean that the cold weather is done. You know, March can come in like a lion you know, and then go out like a lamb or can come in like a lamb and go out like a lion. We'll have to find out how that's going to be. But got to have uh, March and you got to have April. What do you got to have in April, Zach? April what? What do you look for? Come on. The old saying, April blank means May flowers. Now I don't know that's there. Oh, yeah. April showers mean May flowers. I have never heard of that You've before. never heard that. Have you heard about March coming in like a lion? Yes. Okay, you've heard that. Well, April showers mean May flowers, just so you'll know. Wow. Because during the early spring, it tends to rain a lot. Of course, in Arkansas, it's the wintertime, and it rains a lot. <laughs> I mean, we don't have to worry about fires around the state right now. We've had a lot of, uh, of rain. All right, it's uh, 10 after. Yesterday, Sean Hannity was at CPAC and got the opportunity to sit down with the uh, 
Vice President Mike Pence. And of course, uh, yesterday, uh, or was it the day before? Was it yesterday the president had his press conference? No, that was day before. Uh, on on Wednesday, the president had his press conference and put uh, the vice president in charge of uh, this battle with the coronavirus. And so here's what they talked about. Mr. Vice President, good to see you. Let's talk coronavirus. Let me just read opinion piece, New York Times. I know your favorite paper. Let's call it the Trump virus. If you're feeling awful, you know who to blame. You I look at the media reaction to this. I look at the Democrats' reaction. It's almost instantaneous. You know, they're politicizing what is obviously a serious issue. The reaction. Well, look, the president made it clear yesterday. uh, We're all in this together. This is not the time for politics. And uh, after the president asked me to lead the effort uh, on the corona response from the White House, working with the task force that he established now a month and a half ago, working with state government officials and local and health officials. Um, The the president also directed me to reach out. I spoke to Speaker Pelosi. I spoke to Senator Schumer, as well as the Republican. How did those conversations go? They were good conversations. Uh, They were because they were politicizing it almost instantaneously. Yeah, I I know. But look, uh, you know, the president said to me, look, I want you to reach out to the Republican and Democrat leadership because we want to we want to push politics aside. We want to make sure we get the resources that we need uh, to respond to this, to make sure the CDC, all of our agencies have the support that they need, that states have the support should this uh, uh, should this matter uh, become more serious. But the president's message is very clear. We're ready. Uh, We're ready for anything. We continue to prepare for whatever may come. But the reality is that because of the actions that President Trump took last month, uh, literally, you know, ending travel, closing our borders to people coming in from China, establishing a quarantine process, setting up a task force. I mean, if the president hadn't taken those unprecedented steps, they didn't seem to like it. Then. We'd be in a very different place today, Sean. Both you mentioned Pelosi and Schumer, both have been critical of the president on on this and about the money, and it's shameful. I don't think they supported closing off people coming into the country from some of these countries. Well, and there was criticism last month, but when we first received word of the outbreak of the coronavirus shortly after the first of the year, um, the the health team came in. I was there in the Oval Office and they said to the president, look, let's what we ought to do is we ought to end air travel. We ought to close our border uh, and we ought to establish a quarantining process for any American citizens that we allow back in. Uh, And they said, No president has ever done this before, but we're recommending out of an abundance of caution that you do it. And President Trump didn't hesitate for one second. He said, do it. Uh, And it was criticized by some at the time. But as I said, our health experts told me again yesterday when we huddled right after that press briefing for the first time, they said we would be in a very different place today if President Trump hadn't taken the decisive action that we had. And, And today, you know, we haven't had a new case for the last two weeks until the word that reached the public in the last 24 hours. We've had 15 cases in this country and people are being treated and and doing well. One is still in the hospital. But the other 45 cases are all American citizens that we brought back home, went through a quarantining process. We're monitoring them. So uh, I, I take my hat off 
uh, to the president's leadership, uh, as well as to Secretary Azar, the team at, uh, at CDC, Homeland Security. This has been a whole of government approach. But when the president tapped me to lead the White House effort on this, I think it just demonstrated again to the public the seriousness that the president's placed on this. He's telling us to lean into this effort out of an abundance of caution because he has no higher priority than the health and safety of the American people. You get criticized right out of the box. When you were in Indiana as governor, the issue of needle exchange came up with HIV. And uh, I don't know if you would really care that uh, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, you don't believe in science. Needle exchange programs are pretty controversial. Um, and it was a tough call for you at the time. What does it mean all hands on deck? Yeah. And do you think that the Democrats will really work with you or are they looking at yet another opportunity to just slam Donald Trump? I, I say on the program often that if Donald Trump cured cancer, they would want to impeach him for that. Um, obviously a little hyperbole, but I sense a certain truth in it that people see a political advantage if, in fact, oh, this this got to be bigger uh, or it impacts the markets uh, even more? Well, we, we want to hope for better. Um, we hope for a better outcome on this issue uh, clinically, the spread of the virus, although the president said we're ready for anything. And uh, we continue to hope that we'll see uh, not just Republicans, but Democrats uh, you know, dial down the rhetoric and and come alongside the president as we work the problem. That's going to be our objective. Uh, we'll be working on Capitol Hill with people in both political parties. It's not think- ready, by the way. You did see the Wall Street Journal. They have the, the company out of Massachusetts that is already, they feel they, they may have a, a, a track to a vaccine on this. Well, and that's, that's all part of this equation. But, you know, I, I will tell you, I spent 12 years in Congress. I, I know how political the place can be. And it seems it seems more divided now than ever before. But I will tell you, in my conversations with Republican and Democrat leaders, um, I, I think we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to do exactly what the American people want us to do. And, and that is keep the politics out of this, follow the facts, follow the science and work the problem. I think one of the reasons the president asked me to do this was precisely because of two different incidents in the state of Indiana. In 2014, Indiana was uh, where the very first MERS case emerged in the country. MERS, even more dangerous than coronavirus. As governor of the state of Indiana, I saw the way that local government, law enforcement, health officials, and the CDC can work in concert. And we secured that patient. We worked backwards to anybody that they'd contacted, and there were no further no further infections. And then in, in 2015, we, we did have, uh, in a small town in Indiana, a rise in incidence of HIV AIDS. And it was all directly coming from people sharing needles in intravenous drug use. Uh, we worked the problem early in the year from a law enforcement standpoint, from a health standpoint. Um, I, I don't believe in needle exchanges as a way to combat drug abuse. But in this case, we came to the conclusion that we had a public health emergency. And so I took executive action to make a limited needle exchange available at that time in that location, at that time in that location. Indiana would go on to change the law Mm -hmm. uh, to mirror what action I had taken. 
but it was a it was a moment where we had brought we had brought all the resources to bear first from a health perspective a law enforcement perspective and i'm glad to say that we were able to get all of those people treated everyone was able to get support and help and we move forward in the community recovered for the american people that are worried that are concerned reading about this potentially spiraling out of control the impact on their 401ks, the stock market, obviously, the concerns about the global economy, you say to them today. The risk of the spread of the coronavirus in the United States of America remains low. That's according to all of our experts. And it's a direct result of the unprecedented action that President Trump took last month when he closed our border uh, to Chinese individuals coming into the country and also established a quarantining effort Our White House coronavirus task force has literally been meeting every day for the last six weeks. And the American people can be confident that we're going to bring at the president's direction the full resources of the federal government to bear to protect the people of this country. That being said, during this time of year, it's always a good idea to engage in best practices. And people can go to CDC.gov to get the latest information on on not only this virus, but how they can best see to the health of their family and their community. There you go. That was uh, Sean Hannity interview with the vice president yesterday at CPAC, which if uh, my doctor had allowed me, I'd be at right now. I'd just be on the air with you from Washington, D.C., but that wasn't to be this year. I will be back next year. We'll look forward to it. But uh, I thought some great information there. Wanted you to hear it. And a good way to get the show under. Now let me give you some good news. Zach, you ready for some really good news? There's some huge news coming out of Israel today. Huge, huge, huge. Being reported uh, from, uh, what is it, the the Jerusalem Post. It broke the story. Some Israeli scientists had been working on a vaccine for bronchitis and they have been working with a corona virus now look the coronavirus is a virus that you know SARS MERS now well we got COVID-19 coming out uh it's been around for years scientists are, are well aware of it but let me just read what uh, they're saying from over in Israel. Israeli scientists are on the cusp of developing the first vaccine against this uh, novel coronavirus. That's according to their science and technology minister. If all goes as planned, the vaccine could be ready within a few weeks and available in 90 days. You heard me what I just said. You heard correctly. For the past four years, a team of Megal scientists has been developing a vaccine against infectious bronchitis virus, IBV, which causes a bronchial disease which affects poultry, of all things. The effectiveness of the vaccine has been proven in preclinical trials carried out at the uh, Veterinarian Institute. Quote, our basic concept was to develop the technology, and not specifically a vaccine, 
for this uh, kind or that kind of virus. That according to Dr. Chin Katz, he's the head of the uh, biotechnology group. He's the leader. He went on to talk about this, said the scientific framework for the vaccine is based on a new protein expression vector. Uh, he's going to start talking doctor stuff, so I don't understand a lot of it. You may not understand a, a lot of it, but doctors tell me that it's really very important what he's talking about. Uh, it forms and secretes a soluble protein that delivers the viral antigen into mucosal okay, tissues by self-activated endometriosis, causing the body to form antibodies against the virus. In other words, it makes it so that it can get into the cells and make the antibodies, and those are the things that destroy uh, the virus. He said in preclinical trials, the team demonstrated that the oral vaccination induces high levels of the specific anti-IBV antibodies. Let's just call it pure luck, he said. We decided to choose coronavirus as a model for our system, just as a proof of concept for our technology. They just happened to to choose a coronavirus, which is exactly what we're going to be combating now that everybody's all freaking out about. All we need to do is adjust the system to the new sequence, he said. We are in the middle of this process, and hopefully in a few weeks, we will have the vaccine in our hands. Yes, he said, and and wanted to make sure we all understood this. Yes, in a few weeks, if it all works, we will have a vaccine to prevent COVID-19. Acuna said uh, they will fast-track all approval processes with the goal of bringing the human vaccine to market as quickly as possible. Quote, given the urgent global need for a human coronavirus vaccine, we are doing everything we can to accelerate development. The vaccine could, quote, achieve safety approval in 90 days. It's going to be an oral vaccine, which makes it particularly accessible to the general public. So that's that's really good news. Wanted to give you good news because all you've been getting lately is bad news. Bad news. Bad. More people got the virus. Rah, 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 you know, people and nobody's dying. Okay, here in the United States, basically. And you heard that during the uh, uh, press conference, they said all the people that had had it up till uh, Wednesday uh, would be cured of the virus and out of the hospital by today. So I I know about the outbreak out in California and all that, but the bottom line is a lot of good things are going on, and this is good news coming out of Israel uh, as we speak. 625, it uh, is 38 degrees. i got to get you first traffic. I'm a little late with it, but I want to get to you right now here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, 20, no, 38 degrees at uh, 6.30. Let's get to your news, find out what's going on around the world, and, and I'll be back, and I'll tell you what happened on this day back in 1990. 
All right, back with you. 25 minutes till 7, 38 degrees. And I just heard a doctor on Fox News say, be alert, not anxious about this coronavirus. In other words, pay attention to what's going on. Things could change. It's fluid. You just don't know. But uh, just keep your you know eyes and your ears open and uh, you know make some plans. For instance, maybe you should sit down and think about what would happen if they had to close school for a week. Now, they might have to do that because of the flu. I mean, it's happened up in Cabot. A couple of days, they closed the schools, and other schools have done it. Get it under control. And, uh, you know, what are you going to do? Where are you going to put the kids? What are you going to do? Are you going to take the day off and, and work and things that then take sick days? Whatever you're going to do, you need to have a plan. So you, you might want to sit down and, and think about those so that uh, you'll be ready to go if uh, it would occur. Right now, there have been uh, a total of 60 cases of the coronavirus total, total, in totality, all right, in the United States of America of 300-plus million people. There have been no deaths. Nobody has died from it. On the other hand, just last week, five people died here uh, in Arkansas from the flu, a total of 65 during this flu season. So follow what I told you yesterday. Wash your hands uh, whenever you get the opportunity. Make sure. It was funny. Last night I went to the movie to see uh, The Invisible Man. I'll talk about that a little bit later. But I went to see the movie and uh, had to make a, a pit stop after the movie. I washed my hands, dried them off, and there was another gentleman that was in the restroom at the same time. And I, I waited for him to go out first so that I didn't have to push on the door. You know, so I just walked out behind him. So I don't have to touch the door. I don't want to touch the door. I don't want to do anything about it. But I'll give him credit. He washed his hands too. That made me feel good. All right, this day in history, it's February 28th. We got one more day of February. It is a leap year. And uh, back in 1784, John Wesley chartered the first Methodist church in the United States. Despite the fact that he was an Anglican, Wesley saw the need to provide church structure for his followers after the Anglican church abandoned its American believers during the American Revolution. He first brought his evangelical brand of uh this Anglicanism to colonial Georgia from 1735 to 1737 in the company of his brother Charles, with whom he had founded the ascetic Holy Club at Oxford University. That's when they did things with religion in the New England schools. In 1953, on this day, Cambridge University scientist James D. Watson and Francis H. C. Click or Crick, pardon me, announced that they had determined the double helix structure of DNA, the molecule containing human genes. And uh, that was a huge breakthrough at the time they ended up winning the Pulitzer Prize. Uh, not Pulitzer Prize. Um What's the, the award from Sweden that they that they that they get over there for 
you know, science and and uh, all the rest. The Nobel Peace Prize. All right. On this day in 1983, the celebrated sitcom MASH bows out after 11 seasons, airing a special two-and-a-half-hour episode watched by 77% of the television viewing audience. It was the largest percentage ever to watch a single TV show up to that time. Of course, it took place during the Korean War, dealt with, you know, one of the the mobile hospitals, and uh, it was a very, very... A uh, popular, popular show. And then finally, on this day in 1993, it's kind of a day maybe we don't want to remember it so much, at Mount Carmel in Waco, Texas, agents of the U.S. Uh, Treasury Department's Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms launched a raid against the Branch Davidian compound as part of an investigation into the illegal possession of firearms and explosives by the Christian cult. As the agents attempted to penetrate the complex, gunfire erupted, beginning an extended gun battle that left four ATF agents dead and 15 wounded. Six Branch Davidians were fatally wounded, and several more were injured, including David Koresh, the cult's founder and leader. After 45 minutes of shooting, the ATF agents withdrew. A ceasefire was negotiated over the telephone. The operation, which involved more than 100 ATF agents, was one of the largest ever mounted by the Bureau and resulted in the highest casualties of any ATF operation. So the Branch Davidian compound assault happened on this day back in 1993. On this day in 93, if you're heading out to the movies... The the top four movies that you had on mind were Coupe de Ville, starring Patrick Dempsey, Bad Intentions, with Rob Lowe and James Spader, Hunt for Red October, with Sean Connery, or perhaps you were going out to see some action with Lionheart, with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Those were all the movies that you might have been going to see if you're heading out to the movies Uh, Back in 1990. The top 10 songs on this day. Michelle A. No More Lies. Number 9, Alana Miles, Black Velvet. Number 8, Cover Girls Doing We Can't Go Wrong. Number 7, Bad English, Price of Love. Number 6, Gloria Estevan, Here We Are. Number 5, Millie Vanilli. Had a song out called uh, All or Nothing. Number four, one of my favorite groups, the B-52s, were doing Rome. Number three, Paula Abdul, Opposites Attract. Number two, Roxette, in a song called Dangerous. And here's your number one song from this day in 1990. Little sister of Michael. Number one. Number two on the R&B charts. With this song. Of course, a lot of part of her Rhythm Nation tour that was going on at the time. 
Escapade, number one song back in 1990. Good music dance to, a lot of fun. Boy, she was big at, at that time. Huge, just huge. Yeah, we. I just kind of flipped the calendar around, came up 1990, and that's what was going on in 1990. Now, if you're thinking about going to the movies tonight, the big movie opening this weekend was one that's called uh, The Invisible Man. And uh, this is another relaunch of a universal uh, movie character, The Invisible Man. It was, I think, 1933. Uh, Claude Rains played The Invisible Man, did a great job. It's a great movie. If you've ever watched a classic, it is just that. It is a classic. And Claude Rains was perfect as the scientist that had been working on invisibility using, using chemicals to make himself invisible, and it drove him mad. And going out to, to kill people and things of that nature. It was a good movie. It was a really good movie. And uh, you got into some, some deep subjects to think about, about man playing God and, uh, you know, how narcissism and things of that nature can lead to, to bad results. This movie uh, is more of a reflection of our culture and the, quote, Hashtag me too. All right, just tell you that now, which doesn't make much sense to me for the simple reason that in movies and in in comic books, there's always been strong women characters uh, portrayed on the big screen and, uh, you know, in comics and whatever. I mean, you've had Batwoman and, you know, Wonder Woman. You've had all of them. And and for people to say well, we've never had any just belies history. It's that's BS. It's not true. So uh, I give it a C plus. It's an all right movie. So you remember, it's all right. Now I'm going to tell you as you watch this movie, you get to the last third of it. There is a plot hole in it. If you pay attention, that you can drive a truck through. I mean, a huge. There's one thing to have plot holes, you know, that they just kind of let go and, you know, so that you don't think about it. But as you're watching this movie, they set it up for a reveal and then they don't deliver the reveal, which makes you go, ooh, what happened to it? You know, so uh, know that that's there. Uh, the Moss, the lead actress, does a good job, really good job because – Basically, she pulls this off without anybody else in the scene with her. You know, she's being she's being attacked by somebody you can't see. So all of her reactions are to nobody. And she does a very good job. Uh, I'd say she'd be up or have a chance at a an Academy Award, in fact, except it's February. It's awful early. In, in the season, people will forget about what she did on the big screen with this movie. It's not that good of a performance. It's a good performance, a really good performance, but it's not that good that I believe that people rem- will remember her coming up at the, at the end of the year. That's why when you get into the movies that are going to be considered for Academy Awards, they always come out towards the end uh, of the year so you can get some some thoughts on on that going. All right, we got to get a break. Uh, get your traffic and your weather to you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. I'll talk a little bit about 
what uh, 538 and uh, Nate Silver is saying about uh, South Carolina primary and the the Super Tuesday or the SEC primaries I like to remind you about that's coming up on uh, Tuesday. South Carolina on Saturday, not Tuesday, Saturday. And uh, where they think that the um, the number of votes delegates will be uh, after all of that is said and done. That's all coming your way. It's uh, 38 degrees at 647 here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, the answer to home of Rush Limbaugh. Let's move uh, into the last nine minutes of this first hour. Uh, Robert Steinbach will join us in the next hour and into the eight o'clock hour. We'll be talking politics, of course, and talking about uh, major stories that are happening. Let me give you a a little bit of a view of what some of the pollsters are saying about what's coming up on Saturday and on Tuesday. Nate Silver of uh, 538 probably the best breakdown that i've seen of that so i'm going to share it with you here on uh, on the dave ellswick show and where could we be uh on wednesday morning uh when it comes to who's got how many delegates because that's important to in in this whole thing how's this all going to shake out do, do these people think uh the southern states where sanders uh, Sanders has the best at, uh, odds at it are in Texas, better than two to uh, one and two, uh, that he'll win Texas. Perhaps fittingly, since it uh, is more in common with the West and the South, most notably Texas is the only Southern Super Tuesday state with a sizable number of Latino voters who overwhelmingly supported Sanders in Nevada. So keep uh, that in mind. Elsewhere, Sanders is a solid favorite, two and three in Miami, uh, pardon me, in Maine, and a weak one, two and five in American Samoa. Yes, they are having their caucus, and uh, it's going to be a really low turnout. Nate Silver says it's really hard to predict who's going to win it. It just, just all depends. But when you start looking at the other candidates, Biden and, and the rest, Biden and Bloomberg are going to get a share of delegates. They're going to get some delegates. However, there's others that won't be so lucky. Let's talk about that. Uh, you're looking at uh, Sanders with a solid three and five shot of carrying Massachusetts. That is Senator Elizabeth Warren's home state. She loses that. She's done because she's not going to win any other state. Uh Minnesota, meanwhile, is a toss-up between Sanders and Amy uh, Klobuchar. Each has a one and two shot. According to the 538 model, it could be a long night uh, night for Warren and Klobuchar. If they don't win their home states, they're unlikely to carry any of the other states. And things are even worse for former South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg, whose best chance at winning any state is his one in twelve chance in Arkansas? Got a one a chance and one in twelve. That's not a very good chance. I think we all realize that. Uh, but Super Tuesday isn't only about wins. For the first time this year, a substantial number of pledged delegates will be at stake. In fact, 
There's 1,357 delegates available. And because Democrats allocate delegates in proportion with each candidate's share of the vote, non-Sanders candidates can rack up plenty of delegates with strong second or third place showings. So here's the average number of delegates that 538 thinks each candidate will net from Super Tuesday. In California, Sanders will take the majority, about 227. But Biden to pick up probably around 79. Bloomberg about 39. Buttigieg 21. Klobuchar 2. And uh, Warren about 47. In Texas, look for Sanders to pick up 87. Biden to pick up somewhere around 70. And uh, Bloomberg, 43. Everybody else, 18 for Warren, 1 for Klobuchar, 7 for Buttigieg. All right, and you can just go down the list here. When you total them up, here's what they're predicting. On Wednesday morning, when the smoke is cleared and everything has been tabulated, Sanders will have a total of 587 delegates after one-third of the Democrats in this country have voted. It's 587. Now, if you just do the math, extrapolate that out, said, well, what if he gets that the next third and third? Well, it wouldn't give him enough to get the, the, the nomination. you got to have 1,900 and something to get that. Uh, Biden would be trailing at 305. Number two would be, uh, number three would be Bloomberg at 211. And then from there, it falls off significantly. Warren would be in fourth place at 132. Klobuchar at 38. Uh, Buttigieg would be at 70. So you're looking at Sanders in first place, Biden in second place, Bloomberg in third place, Warren in fourth place, Buttigieg in fifth, and Klobuchar in sixth. I think that... I can make a pretty good argument that Klobuchar, Buttigieg, and even perhaps Warren will check out next week. And then it's going to be between Sanders, Biden, and Bloomberg. I mean, uh, the other guys that are out there, they're not even picking up any delegates at all. They'll be falling off like dead flies on, on Wednesday as well. So it should be a good night for Sanders, uh, as it should be in terms of votes. You should take home 587 delegates, but remember that's just in the average model run. In some runs, he gets more. In some others, he gets less. But he's going to be averaging around that total amount. Uh, These numbers could and likely could change. They're still under a week before Super Tuesday. That's still plenty of time for that race to shift. Warren, by the way, is here in Little Rock today. No, tomorrow. She's here Saturday. Take that back. One thirty, I think. She's making her appearance. You know, they're, when they're coming to Arkansas to get the few delegates that are here, that are here, they're in trouble. Just telling you, they're in trouble. All right, it's uh, time to get the news. Let's get to the news. Uh, let's get you your weather next hour, your traffic all your local news, and Robert Steinbach will be with us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Stand by. It's coming up 
right here at 1011 FM, The Answer. second hour of a friday show that's always a good thing because it means i only got two hours left (laughs) i'm just kidding i love spending time with you in the morning i really really do that's why i get up at three o'clock in the morning and come on in here and we uh prepare and get ready to do this show good to have you along with us here on uh, the dave ellswick show on the home of rush limbaugh sean hannity and of course a lot of other people but that's the three big boys that are here with Sean and, and with Rush and, of course, then with our show here in the morning. Um, I was looking at this Jerusalem Post story. I don't know if you saw this yet or not, Robert. Not yet. Israeli scientists say that if things go right, that within 90 days they're going to have a vaccine for uh, COVID-19. That's great. Yeah, they were. They've been doing research for four years on bronchitis, and of all things, as they call it, blind luck. I don't believe in blind luck. I, uh, I'm, I'm one of those people that believes in divine intervention. Uh, they've been working with a coronavirus. You think the Iranians are going to make use of it? <laughs> yeah. Will they accept that? I, I'm just, just right. taking a look at this. Here's. Here's what they uh, they said. Uh, I I find nobody's re- nobody's reporting this. I'm just telling you, nobody's reporting this. I found this on the Jerusalem Post. I have an app on my phone uh, that keeps me up to date on what the news is in Israel, and uh, this story popped up, and I can't believe that national news not all over it. To be honest with you, uh, wait, Dave, are you suggesting that the mainstream media treats differently? Israel, our ally and friend, than it does other countries like Iran. Uh, Here's here's what I would suggest. Why would they report a news story that would probably reverse what's going on on the stock market right now? There you go. There you go. They're they're happy that the stock market's being just hammered right now. That's right. And everybody's saying, see, everything Trump's doing is falling apart. Let me just tell you, within a few weeks, stock market's going to come roaring back. I I believe before this year is up, we may, I I, th- I know, feel very strongly about this, we'll break 30, we could break 31,000. Well, of course, a robust economy or not, uh, caused by the president, meaning the president caused a robust economy, the economy is going to be offset by external events it's a black swan event it's right. something you can't foresee well even if you could foresee it unless unless you could foresee it enough so as to have a cure before it was created that's what i'm saying right these things are going to happen yeah it, 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 it's robert steinbach if 
you're wondering what that you're thinking that I'm doing two voices or something on here. It's not that's not the way I do it. Nobody um, could imitate yeah. my voice. I don't know. Ray Lincoln might have been able to pick it up and do it. I don't know. But, uh, you know, and everybody knows about RAM and all of that. It says uh, here, the uh, head of the research for Israel says, quote, all we need to do is adjust the system to this new sequence. In other words, instead of bronchitis, COVID-19. Okay, you got to make the change there. We are in the middle of that process, and hopefully in a few weeks we'll have the vaccine in our hands. That's yes. amazing. Yes, in a few weeks. If it all works, we would have a vaccine to prevent coronavirus. It will be an oral vaccine, making it particularly accessible to the general public. That's amazing. Yeah, it really is. That's great news. Everybody, you need some good news once in a while. There's some good news for you. You know, and then those on the left. Doom and gloom from Schumer and Pelosi and all the rest. And then whatever million dollars it took obviously for research to create this, those on the left will say, well, you're charging more than a dollar. <laughs> you're bilking everybody. How can you do that? Well, the way we work it here in this country, uh, you go up, you go, you show up to get a flu shot or anything. And with your copay, it's free. Yeah. Most insurances cover the flu it's shots. Pretty, pretty, yes. pretty, pretty free. I go to a CVS or Walgreens and get a flu yeah. shot. Yeah. I go to a big box store. Okay. Yeah. They take care of me. Yeah. Point is, you don't need to go. Uh, you don't need to even make a doctor's appointment to get a flu no, shot. No, it's available all over. You don't even make a doctor's appointment to get a shingle shot. They got it at uh, CVS, at, at Walmart. You yeah, can get it at Walmart, Walmart, Walgreens, all yeah. of them. That's got, right. Yeah. I don't mean to pick my, one over my the other. pneumonia shot that I got. That's right. I got a double pneumonia shot. You know, because us old folks, <laughs> they tell us we got to have a double shot. The stronger one, yes. Yeah. Yes. When I hear double shot, you know you know what I think of? A boiler uh, maker? No, <laughs> no. Double shot of my baby's love. Remember that song? No, I'm not that old, Joe. Okay, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm just, look it up. Zach, look it up. Bring it up. Double shot. All right. Can't think about, can't think of the name of the group, but uh, right now off the top of my head, but I love that song. That's a great, great double shot. I'm busy drinking my double shot of Jar coffee. Five. As yeah, I just what are you drinking? What is it? It looks like it's chocolate a, milk. It's a um, it's a mocha. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it yeah. has chocolate yeah, in it. Yeah, it does. You're not like me. You take your your coffee straight up. No, not really. It makes on hair occasion. grow on your chest. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> he just he just ignores me. It's, good. it's not. I'm, it, I it's like that. Uh, it. As the audience knows, it's early in the morning and it's it even is earlier early. for me. But I was looking at a note because I brought in with me the Americans for Prosperity um, material. They just put out their um, scorecard. Okay. And I, as I was speaking, I was getting a text from the head of the American, you know, from Ryan. 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 Sure. Uh, and there Ryan was some, Norris. Right. And there's some uh, small uh, correction that he wanted to highlight uh, to me. Uh, and perhaps others as well. Uh, but the more interesting aspect of the study uh, relates to those folks that we know. First of all, I don't know if you saw, uh, they they list percentages, and Bart Hester got 108%. So I wrote to Ryan, I said, how does Bart Hester get 108%? Because what's more than 100%? And Ryan aptly told me, that you got certain points for supporting certain bills, 
And then you got extra points if you were the sponsor of the bill. So he sponsored and supported so many uh, pro-growth bills that he actually got 108%. I thought that was uh, interesting and good. He's up for pro-temp. That's right. He's running for pro-temp, Senate pro-temp, the head of the Senate, in other words. Uh, what we would call um, the president of the Senate. If, if, if you're looking, if you want a, a, a similar position, McConnell mm-hmm. in uh, in the Senate in sort D.C. Of, right, because the head Senate, of the Senate. Uh, McConnell is a Senate majority leader, and yes. Bart Hester currently is majority lead, leader. So uh, it maps over a little bit differently because some of the responsibilities of the party in state senate are in majority leader, right? And send, and then some of the responsibilities uh, that McConnell has are in the pro temp position. Yeah. So the bottom line, it's a really important. position. It's a, an extremely important ask, position. Ask, um, oh, I forget who was it. Was it Hendren? Yeah. Hendren wanted it badly. Oh, did he? Is oh, that right? It, oh, yeah. Well, he they, sees it as a footstep to the governor's race. Well, it also would have been. With him, what's he, the nephew or something? He's Cousin? Nephew. Yeah, right. Of the, so, of, the, uh, of the governor. Governor, right. Right. Now, so yeah. that would have been a real uh, alliance uh, had that happened. Um, Kim Hammer got 100%. Bob Ballinger. Way to go, Kim. Got, got 100%. All right. Um, Dan Sullivan got uh, near 100%, uh, but got an A. And mm-hmm. uh, guess what, John Cooper got? Not an A. Did he get a he got D? A, no, he didn't get quite that low. He oh, got a B. Okay. Oh, he got a B. Right. Okay. So, yet again, John Cooper has beat, um, excuse me. Sullivan excuse me, has Dan beat Sullivan. I'm going to say it twice now. Dan Sullivan has beat John Cooper on some conservative measure. Why? Because Dan Sullivan's a conservative and John Cooper yeah, ain't. Is. That's why. You're correct. You're correct. Not complimentary. By the way, Zach... Uh, Elizabeth just texted me and said double shot was done by the swinging medallions. Oh, go ahead, hit it. Here's the song for you. You say double shot, I go, this comes right to mind. A lot of our listeners are dancing in their seats right now. One shot? No, it was a double shot. All right, that's enough of that. Anyway, when you say double shot, it made me think of that song. So the group is the Swinging Medallions. The Swinging Medallions. I've often thought of you, Dave, as a guy with <laughs> some Swinging Medallions. No, Swinging Stallion. I see. <laughs> and I don't mean the necklace medallions. Yeah, I know you. I know mm-hmm. what you're saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> No wonder I didn't remember their names. That's not that, one of those names that stick with you. I'm no, just saying. The song does. The song's Indeed. a great one. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Oh, what we got here? We've got uh, 18 minutes after 7 time for traffic and weather. Let's get to that. Robert Steinbach. His opinions are his and his alone, and not necessarily those of the Bowen School of Law or the U of A in Arc- Little Rock. Did I get it right? You got close enough. I got- <laughs> I screw that up all the time. I'm just so used to saying UALR, you know? 
I, I think you can be grandfathered in. Okay, I appreciate that. I will take a break. We've got, we got more coming your way. Here's your traffic. Back with you, Dave Ellswick Show on a Friday. 38 degrees right now. A lot warmer this morning than it was yesterday. Yesterday it was pretty chilly was in the morning. It was very cold, yes. You came out and it was like slap in the face. Wake up! <laughs> yeah, Get your attention really, really fast as far as that's concerned. Uh, you know, I'm just telling you, you know that some of the candidates are really scared now. Klobuchar made a stop here in Arkansas over in Maumel, of all places. Nothing against you Maumelians, okay? Just let you know. But she didn't stop. It's a pretty conservative area, yeah, isn't it? it? Yeah, it is. And she didn't stop in Little Rock. She stopped in Maumel. And then you got Warren. Yes, Elizabeth, the full Hannes will be here on Saturday at one thirty. I don't know where. I think I heard she's in North Little Rock, I believe. I don't know where she's appearing at. Do you know where she's appearing, Zach? I thought she was probably going to be downtown by the River Market. Oh, she's going to be in the River Market. So she's going to be in Little Rock. Okay, so she's going to be here. If you want to go down and, and see what she looks like and hear her personally and what's going on, you can you can do that. And Bloomberg, uh, Bloomberg was here, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, was he was only? here earlier and here long enough to to uh, get the, the mayor uh, to give his blessing to him, you know, he genuflected, kissed his ring, and sent him on his way. Uh, I had heard a story. Don't know if there's any validity to it. So take this with a grain of salt. But I heard that uh, the Bloomberg campaign is paying a lot of these mayors money to uh, to back him. I don't I mean, know. Which doesn't should, surprise yeah. me. He spent a hundred million dollars to make sure Democrats won. The house two did, years ago. Did you see? I saw one of his commercials on television, not on a news program, actually just coming up on television. Yeah. And I was laughing because basically his commercial is, I'm a technocrat. I have no personality. I'm a robot. <laughs> uh, please vote for me. And I thought it was a, a farce at first. I thought it was a spoof. Uh, yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't a parody? It, no. It was the real deal. So if... If that's how he's going to run a general campaign, he ain't going to win. You know, Jr. and I talked about that yesterday, about what you see in one of his commercials and what you get from the real deal. And Jr. and I brought that up, and Jr. made the statement, how many people watch the uh, debates versus how many people see an ad on just on television right. and get the, the feeling that's the real Bloomberg. Well, he made an interesting comment several times during the debate and elsewhere. And he goes, I have the experience and the this and the that and the resources. Oh, yeah. So that's not even code for I will spend a few billion dollars on this race. He's perfectly entitled to do that. I have no objection to that. But he's going out there and literally campaigning, saying, I'm the richest dude around so I can spend enough money to try to win this race. So vote for me. Well, he's doing that. I mean, he spent right? over $400 million yeah, already. He spent half a billion dollars already. But it's it's ironic that the left, which likes to skewer the rich. Oh, yeah. And he's running in the party of the left saying, I'm so rich, you should vote for me. Yep. All right. That's what he. All right. You know, hey, you I, choose your campaign motto, baby. 
I'll give Sanders the credit that he attacks him all the time over that. However, as I try to point out to everybody, at least Bloomberg is trying to buy your vote with his own money. Sanders is trying to buy your vote with your money. money. I mean, everything that he is promising is going to be paid by the taxpayers. You. That's right. He is he's almost unwatchable, Bernie Sanders, with that waving hand pointing action. <laughs> I, I'm doing it for those watching on on, 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 on the Facebook, Facebook. Yeah. I mean, what is that? I'm a guy who gesticulates a lot and he looks like he's having a seizure. I'm telling you, for Halloween, if he wins the nomination, right. his hair is going to be a major costume. I contributor think right. for Halloween. That's right. <laughs> I will buy me one so I can wear it on the air just to have it here. I may get a, a doll that, you know, you put the you know the right. hair on right. and have it put sitting it right front. here so we can have it on the air. His hair, I got to believe he's got people who take care of that kind of stuff because you've got to when there's television involved. Nixon proved that back when he debated JFK. But I got to tell you what. They're making sure that that wild look of hair looks wild all the time. He looks something. The wild isn't the word that I would choose, frankly, Dave. <laughs> I would probably think of something else that I would deem more apt than that. Oh, I tell but, you. But Biden, you know, he's going to win South Carolina, it looks like. And uh, and good for him. But I'm just telling you, like I, I told you on these these numbers, he, yeah. he's, he's going to be... And trailing significantly because well, and he doesn't have money right now. And here's the thing about Oatmeal Joe. Uh, you're going to tell him he's in second place. He won't even know it. <laughs> Wait, what? Where this am I? You. Huh? When, my, when do I get the coffee? Can I win my Senate race? Right. Where am I? Is this <laughs> yeah. Delaware? Yeah. Who's on first? Anyway, they're, they're, pro- they're projecting that Wednesday of next week, after all the smoke clears, Sanders is going to have right around 587 delegates. That's about what do they need to win? Nineteen hundred and something. It's about two grand. Yeah. Okay. And then you got Biden with three hundred five. Okay. And Bloomberg with two eleven. So we'll have to see what happens. I'm I'm going to be interesting. Bloomberg, you get two hundred and eleven delegates. I don't know if that's a good spend on your money. To be honest, with it you. is not. You know, as far as that's concerned, uh, New York Times came out. Uh, just uh, this morning and said that uh, the superdelegates, they've been talking to him, said that they'll stop Sanders at the convention if it's brokered. He better come with the necessary delegates to take the nomination. If not, there's enough superdelegates that they're going to stop. Well, the party establishment clearly doesn't want him to win. Much like, by the way, the party establishment didn't want Donald Trump to win. So there really is a bit of a parallel here, and it does give you some insight to the possibility that Sanders could indeed win. What's particularly interesting is how all of the cronies, right, all of the establishment say, well, he can't win in the general. And I don't think he will do well in the general election. I don't think any of them can win in the general. Indeed, there's, there's something to that, although I think he is... Not at the top of the list of likelihood of winning 
uh, even though all of the odds are relatively low. Okay, let's come back and talk yeah, about let's this. Let's do it. It's a, it's a long segment it is. to do. It is. And we'll we'll do that for you when we get back. Right now, though, Rush is waiting to talk to you here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, let's get back. We were talking, and I stopped Robert. Let me let you pick up your train of thought. That train has... Um Departed the has station. Departed, no. <laughs> what, what were we talking about, Dave? You'll need to you'll need to refresh. Zach, are you watching this show? Are you paying attention? Maybe somebody knows what the heck's going on in the is, morning. Is there a, is there a, a smoldering, you know, pile of train cars all piled up here in the exactly. studio right now? No, we were talking about the uh, Democratic primary. Yes, and um, I think that there is this real movement. Amongst the Democrats to amongst the Democratic establishment, I should say, to keep um, Sanders from winning. And I get it, by the way. I think Sanders is a really risky candidate to run, although his response to that would be, I've got more motivated voters. And if you put someone up like Bloomberg, a lot of people are going to stay home because they don't care. They don't see the difference. Mm hmm. And I think there's some truth to that. And, of course, I don't know which way it would play out. But what is interesting to me is the fact that the establishment in both parties, Dave, we saw this. Trump overcame it, but he didn't win the primary because of it. He won the primary in spite of it. Yeah, he did. The These are establishment hack cronies who view the party apparatus as the device to continue their paychecks, to continue their power, and to continue their authority. Not as a mechanism by which we can make this country even greater. That's what's wrong with these parties today, and it's left and right, i got to tell you. Now, the Republican Party has been shook up good, and I'm damn pleased about it, but I'm not uh, still sanguine that there are not significant parts pockets, I should say, even in the Republican Party, more so now in the Democratic Party, that just don't want to change the status quo. Well, and that's to their detriment. Right. That's why you're seeing so many of the old guard retiring. That's right. Because it's not going their way any longer. That's right. But I'll make a, I've been talking about this kind of off and on. Uh, over the weeks, but I will make some a statement here uh, and solidify my my thoughts on this. Yeah, if Sanders rolls into Milwaukee, Wisconsin, within say three hundred delegates, four hundred delegates of having the nomination, and the super delegates screw him out of it, right? And somebody who's trailing by a lot, right? suddenly gets all the super delegates and uh, somebody else gets the nomination what will happen at this 2020 uh convention will be the exact same thing that we saw in 1968 in chicago for the democratic party i agree they'll i'm just i don't want to see it happen but i will predict blood in the streets it, it it will indeed be a nightmare. It, it's one thing if Bernie comes in, say, with 25% of the delegates and then doesn't get oh, the nomination. He's going to have more than 25%. Right. He's going to have like 
82% or something, at well, least. Oh, but not of the superdelegates is yeah, what you're saying. Yeah, you don't have any of this. Well, you don't get super superdelegates don't count right. until the second go-round. I see. You have right. the initial vote. Right. And if somebody doesn't have the, the necessary votes or the necessary delegates for the nomination, then the superdelegates get involved. But on the first round, it's just a majority of That's the— That's correct. I see. So— if he comes in close to majority but below majority and doesn't get it, mm-hmm. then I agree with you. I think all heck's going to break you loose. Better, I'm just telling you, they better be buying a lot of riot gear for the police in Milwaukee. Well, and to some extent, to be to be clear, there's a legitimate concern if the Democratic primary is supposed to be Democratic and he gets essentially half, but not half, almost half, let's say, and somehow he winds up not getting the nomination because of this antiquated or maybe another word, a different word. Maybe it's not antiquated. Maybe it's just a Byzantine mm-hmm. a process. Well, guess what? Democracy doesn't like Byzantine processes outdoing what the popular vote is. Well, let's figure after Tuesday. Right. If Nate Silver is correct, right. Sanders is going to have about 32% of the delegates. Wow. And he needs 50 to win. Yeah, he needs 1,900 right. to get there. Right. All right. So uh, it just means that the rest of the primaries are going to be bloodbaths right. out there. I mean, we're talking fistfights on the According on the to campaign. Nate Silver after uh, Super Tuesday, what's he, is that the, the cross date? What's the, what's yeah, the number? San, Sanders, he's saying that Sanders... Plus or minus, yeah. you know, 587. So let's say 600. He'll have 600, so he'll be... And Biden a, will have 300. Oh, so he'll have a third of what he needs or so, mm, right? Because yes. he'll need another um, 1,400 That's to correct. get there. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. I mean, this is... So here's be, my question. Say, He's, he'll have... Tuesday? Yeah. yeah. Tuesday, 1,300 delegates are being divvied up. Oh, That's my. That's huge. Oh, my. So let's say Bernie's got, uh, uh, at, this is the prediction for after Super Tuesday. Yes. Yeah. So the prediction by Nate Silver is that after Super Tuesday. And after South Carolina. And after South Carolina, that Sanders will have around 600. He needs uh, around 2,000. Yep. And so let's say he gets on the way to the convention another 600. So he's at 1,200. Mm-hmm. He's only. Two-thirds of the way there, but well ahead of everyone else. That's what's going to be interesting. So what do they do? They go to superdelegates, and they hand it to Bloomberg or Biden. Those yeah, are the only understand ones that, right? the superdelegates are basically the uh, the intelligentsia. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, <laughs> the, I think dem- that's a rather generous use of the term, right. but nonetheless. There, it's, the, it's the state chairman and people right. like that. Party apparatchiks. That's exactly Actually, right. they should like, in some respects, Sanders, because Sanders is a communist, and those types of position, <laughs> party apparatchnik positions, are communist-like in their uh, control and in their democratic, uh, and I mean that little d, in their democratic uh, legitimacy. Yeah, it's... But I, I'm I'll just give everybody a heads up right yeah. now. Go back if you if you're younger than thirty, go back and get on YouTube, type in nineteen sixty eight Democrat Chicago <clears throat> Convention and just watch 
the video. Yeah, there were there were riots. Because when you watch that, you'll be seeing the 2020 convention if they take it away from Bernie. You might. You might. You know, I, I, I it's not that far from Chicago to Milwaukee. I'm yeah. just telling yeah. you. It, it'd, be, it'd be scary. Well, I wouldn't you, want to be in Milwaukee covering it. Did you hear Bernie's uh, comments against uh, Prime Minister of Israel, Netanyahu? Oh, yeah. He's really... He's a racist, of course. Oh, right, right. He's the longest-serving prime minister of the only democratic country and our strongest in, in, in that strongest region. strongest ally. And our strongest ally. And Sanders is calling him a racist. But you see, this is what these leftists do, Dave. Everybody's a, a racist. You don't agree? Racist! Yeah. You know, misogynist! Did you see um, Elizabeth Warren during the debate starts screaming... At Bloomberg. Kill your baby. You said kill the baby. Kill it. Here's a woman who believes in abortion to the point of birth. Right. Well, (laughs) there's an inherent irony there, but putting that aside for for a moment, she says, you told this woman to kill. How do you know? Were you there? No. Uh, Bloomberg looked at her and said, that is a lie. That's a lie. (laughs) And and someone said, well, how do you know? And she said, "Uh, I I believe what the woman said. Mm -hmm. But by the way, she never spoke to the woman. Right, of she wrote a newspaper article. So that's not how you determine whether someone's lying. Oh, you read some newspaper article and uh, that reports on the lawsuit because they didn't interview the woman; they reported on the lawsuit. And you know that the woman's right and Bloomberg's wrong. This is what happens. This is the extension of calling. Do you pe- not have a? Do you not have a a election apparatus that one of your Minions can go out and contact this woman right. and talk to her. Right. Well, this is what happens, Dave. This is the natural extension of the left calling people racist, misogynist, ist, ism, all of it, phobe, all of it. And the natural result of that is then you take any allegation that you want from anywhere without speaking to the person, without determining credibility. We have trials. You determine whether someone's lying by. Hearing them, looking at them, observing them. She does none of it. But the natural extension of the left's continued uh, name calling is that you can take any allegation and use it and say, well, it's legitimate. I get to decide because I don't like you. It's legitimate. And I want to be president more than you do. Exactly. And these (laughs) leftists are the same ones who want to claim civil liberties. It's remarkable. How do you claim civil liberties when you don't want to even determine what's true and what's false? The only measure to you, you lefties, is whether something's true is if it helps your argument, if it helps your position. So it helps Warren to accuse Bloomberg of making a statement for which Warren doesn't have sufficient evidence to suggest that that event actually occurred. I there's a lot more to talk about today. Indeed. I mean, there's a lot out there. There's a lot out there as far as if you vote for a Democrat, look at their platform. And how can you, when you see the way they voted, for instance, this week only in the House and in the Senate over abortion and, and in fact, not even over abortion in the Senate. We're talking about live, viable infants. And they said, sorry to kill them. We'll talk about that uh, yes. even more. we got to get a break in. Time for your traffic. Let's do that. Uh, traffic and weather, we do that here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Keep you up to date so you can get to work on time. you got about 14 minutes to make it 
at 8 o'clock. Keep that in mind. It's uh, 38 degrees, looking for a high today of 57. Tomorrow, sunny and a high near 62 degrees. And a week from Sunday is daylight savings time. Oh, my. It's not far away. Right now, in a couple of weeks, it'll be 847. I'll be just about wrapping up the show, just so you know. All right, we'll take a break. It's 101.1 FM, the answer to Dave Ellswick's show, home of Rush Limbaugh, about 1968 in Chicago. And uh, the the huge uproar that happened at that convention, of course, that's when the boss was the mayor. That's Mayor Daly, the Richard Daly, the Richard Daly, not his son. And uh, he ruled that city with an iron fist. And uh, the police just went crazy. Uh, I give the National Guard all the credit in the world. They kept their lines and wouldn't let the protesters pass. Uh, But, uh, you know, some of the pictures that you've seen from uh, the past there where the women were, you know, the flower child girls were going up and putting daisies in the, the National Guard troops rifles and all of that kind of stuff that's a that's a Pulitzer prize winning photo by the way uh but i'm going to tell you what when the police were there that's that, that's when everything started protests are hurling things at them they had golf balls with 10 penny nails driven through them and were throwing those and um it was my first assignment that was the word i was trying to find when i was just talking to zach my first assignment uh, the photo editor called me in and said, Dave, we're going to send you up to Chicago to take pictures because I was 17 at the time. And I uh, go up there and, and take some foot 16, 17. I was in that area. And they, they asked me to go up and if I would take pictures because I, I was close to the age of the pro, most of the protesters. And so I, I went up there and uh, had my box camera and all of that. My, uh, I'm trying to, uh, it doesn't matter what, what brand of camera it was. But we were up there taking the pictures, and I was in uh, Lincoln Park, and all hell broke loose. And that's when uh, the Chicago cops came in, the mounted patrol came riding down the hill. They had their their billy clubs, and not the billy, not the wooden ones. They had these big ones where they when they were mounted, it would reach down. They didn't have to lean over, you know, give, give them shot, or you could grab them, pull them off their horses. Uh, they they had these lead field ones, and anybody that was probably that they saw un, had long hair and looked uh, less than twenty five, they're going to hit you and knock you out, and it it got pretty scary for a while there, got crazy. And I I just talking to Zach, he said he was going and looking at some of the archival footage of that. And, I was looking, yeah, the yeah, comment section, yeah, and. and a lot of Sanders people saying they take it away from Bernie. It's going to be a repeat of 68. Already they're saying it. You know what's interesting about this primary system here in Arkansas, as you know, and we've discussed, you can cross over. You, if you want to vote as a Democrat I hate in it. the Republican primary, and as we've talked about before, John Cooper is actually essentially going around hoping that Democrats are going to and vote. That one, in, that one guy that's uh, a teacher. That's right. Or, or some works, teacher up. works within the. Yeah, there's the some teacher teachers. up in Jonesboro who uh, improperly used school email 
to solicit votes for— And send it out and said, hey, if you're right. Democrat, just ask for a Republican ballot. That's right. But what's interesting, what was additionally interesting about that, I think, is if Democrats do that, they give up their ability to vote in their own presidential primary. Yes. You, you can't you vote can't on vote both. both. No. Right. And this is now has become a hotly contested Democratic primary for the presidential race. So the Democrats who want to sneak in essentially to the Republican primary have to decide whether doing so is worth it at the price of determining who their presidential candidate will be and maybe whether the president and indeed, you know, the chances of their candidate beating Trump because vote for Bernie and there's a good chance that he's not going to beat Trump. Vote for Bloomberg. As you said aptly before, still seems unlikely that he'll beat Trump. Yep. But I think he has a better chance relative to Bernie. And so it's all in the percentages. Well, he's got the money to burn. That's it. And that's largely, <laughs> no pun intended. It the was reason, a pun intended. Indeed, largely the reason why he's got a far better chance to, to um, challenge the president. And so the Democrats have to decide, do I want to vote on a state race or do I want to vote to determine who will be the presidential candidate uh, for the Democrats come uh, November. Mm-hmm. I think and it's a very interesting dynamic. Do you want to vote local or right. do you want to vote national? Right. That's, that's going to be your question. This is a byproduct of a, of a bad system where we have, where you can switch over in primary voting on the spot. Don't like it. No. Never have. No. Don't believe in open primaries. I don't know why they have it. Your primary uh, decisions about your own party should be made by your own party members, not by the other party. Exactly. Doesn't make sense. I mean, make the change. That's right. I mean, well, that, I, I've talked to Doyle about this a lot. I mean, he and, and I are good, and he would like to see it change. Right. I asked him, can you get it changed? And I, no, it ain't going to happen. Mm-hmm. There's people that are in, in power that don't want it. And that, that worries me because that tells me that there's some people that play both both sides of the coin and they want a say that way mm-hmm. so that they can make things work well for their side so that they can help control where the money goes and things of that nature. Right, I think that's right. what it's all about. In fact, I know that's what it's all right, about. Right, it's right. always. All, don't let anybody ever tell you that it's not about the money. Exactly. It is about the money. Keep that in mind. All right? Keep that Keep that in mind. Elizabeth is sending me some information. Let me bring this up real quick because I want to give it to you. It's a story uh, that is uh, we network the presidential candidates from the party of how dare you be a millionaire. Right. Democrats. That's right. Can Bloomberg just buy the nomination? That, that's the question. We've been talking about that. Right. You spent $400 million on it. The net worth of every 2020 presidential candidate, the ones that hate rich people. Uh, let's see. We got uh, there were some surprises. Well, give Bernie, us Warren because she's the biggest hypocrite Warren of the Warren is richer than uh, Biden and Bernie. Of course. She's worth an estimated 12 million dollars yeah. she's worth 12 million dollars and this hypocrite sits there and criticizes buddha judge or judge whatever it is because he has goes to a fundraising party you see the folks the way it works is each individual can only give maximum twenty eight hundred dollars if you're a billionaire twenty eight hundred dollars if you're poor 
$2,800. No one can give more than $2,800. But what the rich folks will do is they'll throw a party, invite all their friends, and then essentially everyone that walks in the door gives $2,800. So it's a way to aggregate donations. So here, multimillionaire Warren criticizes much poorer Buttigieg, and I'm no fan of his, but she's entirely dishonest when she criticizes him for going to a party thrown by a millionaire or billionaire (laughs) or whatever because he hopes to have his friends donate to Buttigieg. We're going to talk more about this because the average income of a Democratic candidate's $12.5 million. We got more to talk about when we come back. Glad that you joined us this morning. It's 38 degrees and it's almost 8 o'clock. Here is your news. The Dave Ellswick Show. You want to know is it, what's the temperature going to be today? Well, right now it's 38 degrees, so not bad. It's not too bad. I mean, it's not when you get out and doesn't feel like the wind hits you and rips your face off or whatever. Uh, it's 38. We're going up to a high today of let's see, they're saying 57 degrees today. That's great. So it'll be a nice day outside. Yeah, going to be sunny. So it'll feel warmer than the 57, probably in the 60s. And then uh, tomorrow it's going to be sunny. And a high near 62. Now, early voting, I think Saturday is the last day for early voting. There won't be any voting on Monday, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, the bottom line is this. Go out and do your voting, I'm going to say Saturday, because it's supposed to be raining cats and dogs Tuesday. I mean, pouring down buckets of water. So if you don't want to have to ford the, the stream to get to the polls, you might want to do that. When we left, we were talking about a story that Forbes magazine did and uh, bring it back up here on my phone for myself. And uh, it's dealing with, you know, Democrats are always screaming about millionaires, this millionaires, that, although Sanders has tried to deflect that a little bit. Now he says billionaires, right, not millionaires. Right. Now that he's a millionaire. Now he's a millionaire. Sudden, this is the problem with the left. This is a problem with communists like Bernie, and that is... Everybody who's not you is the bad guy. Everybody who has a dollar more than you is too rich, but your level is just right. It's like the three little bears, you know, the porridge is too hot. It's too cold. It's just right. And these lefties are always looking to pick the pocket of the guy to the left and the guy to the right. But they say, oh, but not me, not me. I'm just right. Yeah, it's like Joe Biden. What's he call himself? 
Middle class Joe. Yeah. He's Oatmeal worth, Joe. He's worth millions. Yeah. Oatmeal let Joe and the Gilded Ball. Let me just ask my listeners. They're right. middle class people that are listening to this show right now. Of course. Now. You got a million bucks? Exactly. I don't. These I consider people, myself yeah. lower middle class. Right. And I'm not even close to a million. I just consider you low class. But that's a whole <laughs> different story, Dave. A different show entirely. Zach's nodding his head. You that's, know it's a bad joke when Zach's my, giving you the typical, nod. That's my typical kind of humor. Low right. brow. I'm there low, you go. low brow. Low class, low brow. Um, the average net yeah, worth right. of a Democrat right. that's running for president is $12.9 million, The same as it was for the... 2016 contenders. But, but what, how does that number change if you just take out Bloomberg is the question. Yeah. Because I'm curious what the median is rather than the average. The median net worth is two mil. There you go. There you go. Look at Dave ready with the answers. I am. I'm ready So to essentially go. that Who do you means think is the poorest? A Buttigieg. You're correct. Yeah. He is worth an estimated $100,000. Right. He's truly middle class. Right. And the irony, that's the irony. Uh, Warren sits there in her pontificating, professorial, finger-wagging way. Perfor what? Which one? You said professorial. What does that mean? Being a professor. Oh, okay. Yeah. There you go. Um, like finger-wagging way, telling Buttigieg, how dare you raise money at parties in which each person still can only give $2,800, but the parties are hosted by billionaires, and I, Warren, have $12 million in the po- in my pockets, so I can do whatever I want. She's a hypocrite, and we know, more generally, a liar. Tom Steyer is a perfect example of you can have a whole lot of money because he's got $1.6 bill. Right. All right. I wonder how and, that average drops and, down if you take out Steyer. Yeah, and you're sitting down there. He's raised $50 million. Right. And uh, he's spending it like left and right, and it hasn't done him any good whatsoever. So if you don't have ideas, it doesn't matter how much money you got. It doesn't get you anywhere. He's actually a terrible candidate. If you listen to him talk, there's no there there. <laughs> he's an empty suit, but so is Buttigieg. If you really actually, look at him, he's pretty empty. Here's what I would say. Buttigieg is an intelligent person. I don't agree with his policies, but he's an intelligent person. I get no such impression from Steyer. None. Well, look, before the Democrats started running their candidates, everybody said, Oh, Trump, we're going to bring down Trump. Trump's only hovering around the 50% popularity rating. He's the least popular president of any time. It's a polarized nation. We just got to get the people out. And then they line up their 30 or so that became 20 or so and now 10 or so candidates. And the more you examine the actual people who decided to run to be the uh, Democratic candidate for president, the more likely it appears that Trump's going to win in a landslide. Mm -hmm. These Democrats can't put up a candidate if you bought one for them, and that's exactly what Bloomberg's trying to do. And they're running scared. Yeah. I mean, seriously, running scared. Elizabeth Warren's net worth, $12 million. Right. Her money raised thus far for her campaign, $60 million, and she's burned through it. Yeah. It's not a lot, actually. She's going to start taking uh, PAC money, she said. Remember, she said she I thought she's take no bad money. I won't take one dollar. I won't do it. I won't do it until I decide to do it. Until I, I don't believe something until I believe it. I don't. I, I criticize you for doing something until I do it 
because that's how I operate, says Elizabeth Warren, the hypocrite and liar. Well, middle class Joe. Yeah, is now oatmeal Joe. He's solidly upper class Yeah, Joe. let's hear how He's much. He's worth $9 million. Oh, is that all? A nine mere million. $9 million? Is yeah. that all? Yep. Hypocrite Joe. $9 million. Joe? Did you know that uh, Camila Harris was worth $6 million? I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, she's worth a lot of, a lot of money. Well, uh, take I'm, it if you I'm can get it. I'm not going to get into the ones that have... Uh, de Blasio, he's only worth two and a half mil. I thought he would be worth more. I than didn't that. know he was worth that much. Yeah, Bernie Sanders is worth a net worth of two point five, and he's raised seventy five mil. Yeah, but don't you know he's got he, he's got a, what did he call it? It wasn't even a lake house. It was a it was a lake cabin. They showed pictures of this lake. He's cabin. got three houses. Yeah, I know, but the little one, the little one's yeah. the lake cabin. Yeah, you know what? It's called a fancy house on the water. Just a little lake cabin. By the way, there ain't no fishing boat out back. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. Amy Klobuchar, $2 million. Really? Yeah. Where'd she make her money at? A prosecutor turned politician. Where's the paycheck? Her uh, retirement holdings include a federal pension worth an estimated $560,000. Well, that just shows you that The result of 12 years in the U.S. Senate. Yeah, it shows you that she's been in government a long time. Yeah, you can make a pretty good living off of that. Absolutely. If you want to. Absolutely. See, who do I have that I haven't talked about? Gillibrand's out. She's only worth a mill. Oh, well. Uh, who else is worth some money here? Andrew Yang was worth a mill. Is that it? I thought he was loaded. I thought yeah. he was a big investor type. I'm not sure that's accurate. Tulsi Gabbard, $500,000. Right. That makes sense. You know? Yeah. And uh, she raised, by the way, $9 million. Yeah, no, she did well. Uh, Pete Buttigieg, $100,000 net worth, has raised $52 million. Yeah. yeah. He's got enough money to live comfortably in Indiana. Right. Uh, but he's still the poorest 2020 contender, chalked it up to his age. He's only 37. Right. Student loan debt and his decision to give up a lucrative McKinsey job to run for treasurer of his home state of Indiana in 2010. He lost but got a six-figure gig as mayor of South Bend two years later. Still, he and his husband, Chaston, a former teacher, disclosed between one hundred and two hundred thirty thousand dollars in student well, loans. If he's a former teacher, what's he doing now? Do you know? He's running for president. No, no, the the the, the husband. <laughs> I don't know what he's yeah. doing. Hmm. I have no idea. Yeah, you know, living off of one salary, he's letting his wife hire. You know, make the money. I mean, I guess that that may, if he's the husband, that makes. Does that make no? It's husband and husband. Oh, it's husband and husband. husband. Okay, okay. I just, I get confused in culture now. uh, Are they calling in, Zach? (laughs) Are 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 the phones ringing yet? Are they calling in? They're calling in, Dave. Be careful. I confused, Dave. You're easily confused. It's you know, it's you get up too early these days. I do. I get confused about. Is it husband or is it wife? Mm -hmm, Is it just mm -hmm. significant other? What? Mm -hmm. What do you call What about us? insignificant other? Can you have one of those? Yeah, there's some people that are married that would say that. Right. You know, be exactly. honest with you. But yeah, I don't know. I just get confused. I think then it's there's... time for a break. <laughs> we do have to do that. Indeed. All right. He's he's letting me put my shovel down. It's the uh, <laughs> the Dave Ellswick Show. 101.1 FM, uh, the answer. Home of the Rush Limbaugh Show. Let's get your, your traffic and your weather. Interesting story just breaking, and uh, this dealing with voting. Uh, There's three battleground states, and there's a watchdog group that is getting ready to uh, bring suit against them. 
Let me just read this. This is from James Varney of the Washington Times. Uh, a watchdog group threatened to sue three states Thursday if they do not police their voting registration rolls more diligently before the November elections. The rolls in some counties of Colorado, Florida, and Michigan are suspiciously high, sometimes exceeding the number of voting age adults in their counties. The uh, group sent letters to the secretaries of state in Colorado, Florida, and Michigan, each a crucial 2020 presidential battleground, demanding they take legal, uh, legally required steps to ensure their lists are accurate and inform the group of the measures they have taken before November. The group is the Honest Election Project. They accused the three states ones I just mentioned, of failing to keep track of voters who may have moved, died, or been incarcerated, leading to figures that seem impossibly uh, high given census data. Quote, it's a simple comparison of publicly available records, uh, said Jason Sneed, executive director of the project. The National Voter Registration Act requires that concerned voters first inform state officials about the problem and the voters can then file suit in 90 days if they believe the state's moves are insufficient. The project is racing toward a confrontation with Democrats who accuse Republicans of purging voter rolls to suppress voting, especially minority voting. Purging registration rolls has been a hotly contested uh, subject in several places in Georgia, Democrats lodged allegations of voter suppression when the party lost the 2018 gubernatorial race. On Thursday, the Florida Democratic Party sounded alarms following news reports that election officials in Collier County, and that includes Naples, had put a majority of its 2016 voters onto inactive lists. Juan Pensalosa executive director of the Florida Democratic Party, said the purge was, quote, most onerous to people of color and young voters and voters that tend to be Democrats, unquote. He demanded the voters be returned to active status. They go over the top, he said. They're kind of double-dipping to remove voters. The Honest Election Project's action stems from voters in the three states who came forward to serve as litigants withstanding for legal action in each state they're being represented by the law firm Consovoy McCarthy. And uh, anyway, in these uh, different counties that they're bringing this lawsuit against, in Colorado, Michigan, and Florida, they have more registered voters than they have population. Well, this is all part, Dave, of the left's attempt to pervert our voting system. When we say, hey, here's a crazy idea, when you show up to the polls you bring an id oh well that's voter suppression and then they turn around and they say oh well you need to have a background check an id and this and that to buy a gun wait, wait a second why is that not uh second amendment suppression but of course their answer if they were to be honest is we don't believe in the second amendment right no that, oh no and and they the, don't believe the, in the first amendment indeed the the left has a- actually perverted the First Amendment, even though they were originally the ones who advocated 
most strongly in the 60s for free speech. Mm -hmm. And even now, look, we've talked about it a thousand times, and I perhaps go back to this well too often, but we've got Republicans in this legislature who are not conservative enough on many issues, including the First Amendment, including the Second Amendment. John Cooper voted against spending. What? Spending. uh, On issues of spending. But John Cooper. Right. John Cooper voted against Stand Your Ground, which is a basic self-defense law. And if you are a Second Amendment advocate, then you don't vote against Stand Your Ground. So I just, you know, I've said it many times, but I'll say it again. We, I am tired of having these fake Republicans in the Republican Party. We need a truly conservative Republican Party. It doesn't mean that they need to agree on every issue. But when you have people like Cooper... Voted for every tax cut. Excuse me, tax raise. Cooper voted for every tax raise, voted against stand your ground, voted against ethics reform. What's conservative about him? I'll give him this. He's he's pro-life. I'll give him that. But other than that, he just votes the liberal line. And that's just one example. And we need to make sure that going forward, the Republicans in the state legislature... And indeed, the governorship and all of the constitutional offices are conservatives. I'm more impressed whether they are conservative in policy than whether they are Republican in name only. Yeah, uh, of course, just because they have an R in front of their name, because it's so easy to to just walk across the aisle and suddenly say, well, I was a Democrat, but now I'm a Republican. Right, right. Because I understand, because Republicanism is the prevailing thought process right. that I got to be have an R in front of my name if I intend to even have a chance to win. They just blanket themselves in the label without adopting any of the philosophy. No, they, and they do not. There's a lot of them that do not. And and I'm not willing in, you know, with people in the hierarchy of the Republican Party here in the state, I've had long arguments about this, that I think that there should be at least a written statement that you have to sign if you're going to run as a Republican. If you want to call it a litmus test, let it be a litmus test because I got the book right here. I keep right. it right here. The Arkansas Values, Arkansas Common Sense, this is the platform. If you want to run as a as a, a Republican, you should embrace the platform. And a lot of these folks don't embrace the platform. They may embrace one Part one of small the platform, element, but right. they don't embrace the whole platform. And if you don't, then I don't think that the, the party of Arkansas should let you run as a Republican. Well, and it's so easy, right? It, it's not it's not a complicated formula formula to decide what it is to be conservative. Re- less government intervention in our lives, lower taxes, freedom of speech. The right to self-defense as embodied partially by the Second Amendment, but it means more than that, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the ability in general to be free from government intervention. And the left wants government in every aspect of your life. And conservatives more and more have adopted appropriately the ethos that any institution when it gets too big, it has too much control, can be dangerous. And the worst of them is government, 
because government gets to throw you in jail. As Jefferson said, government has the tendency to grow. Indeed. And as government grows, liberty declines. Exactly. That's just something to keep in mind. Uh, Although I think there's a lot of people that if they can eat Cheetos and play their video games, they think they're free. Indeed. Truly, they're in the matrix. What can I say? Take the blue or take the red pill. Right. Your choice. All right. Let's take a break. We've got Sean Hannity. He's ready to tell you what his thoughts are right here on 101.1. All right. For all of you millennials out there who want $15 an hour, let me give you a a 411 here. Mm -hmm. All right. In a test kitchen in a corner building in downtown Pasadena, Flippy, the robot, grabbed a fryer basket full of chicken fingers and plunged them into hot oil. Its sensors told it exactly how hot. Then it lifted them out, drained them, and dumped them, uh, the tenders, right into a waiting hopper. A few feet away, another flippy eyed a beef patty sizzling on a grill. With its camera eyes feeding pixels to a machine vision brain, it waited until the beef hit the right shade of brown, then smoothly slipped its spatula hand under the burger and plopped it onto a tray. The product of decades of research in robotics and machine learning, Flippy represents the synthesis of motors, sensors, chips, and processing power that wasn't possible until just recently. Now, Flippy's success and the success of the company that built it, Miso Robotics, depends on simple math and a controversial hypothesis of how robots can transform the service economy. Costing less to employ than a minimum wage worker, Flippy has built the slip in right alongside humans on the fast food line. Off-the-shelf robot arms have plunged in price in recent years from more than $100,000 in 2016, four years ago, to just $10,000 today. A lot like flat-screen TVs. That's right. But cheaper models coming in the near future. As a result, Miso can offer Flippies to a fast food restaurant owners for an estimated $2,000 per month on a subscription basis that breaks down to not $15 an hour, $3 an hour. Do the math. That's the whole point. Too many people don't understand how a minimum wage operates. I try to teach it in my classes, in fact. And it's very simple. I'm not saying a minimum wage is good, and I'm not saying a minimum wage is bad. You get to decide, but here's what you need to understand, what everyone needs to understand. When you increase a minimum wage, an employer will look for an alternative, and if automation is an alternative that is cheaper, then he will pursue it. Of course, we see that all the time now, right? Every time you buy a Coke at a vending machine, that Coke is, excuse me, uh, is a replacement for someone selling it. That's why we have vending machines, because it's more cheap to sell via machine. That's automated. That's robotics, in fact. Very simple robotics. Than having a person do it. So those machines came about in part as a function of minimum wage. You say, well, no, they would have more. No, guess what? Whoever is selling that soda would have hired a person to do it, be it 24 hours a day. If the cost was less than purchasing and maintaining that machine, that's it. So that's one way 
<clears throat> that minimum wage puts some people out of business. Yeah, let's explain something yeah. that you just said. Somebody who has a business is not going to buy automation, which is going to be a huge cash outflow to get it put in to your business, unless the payback is going to be incredibly fast. Mm-hmm. And then they'll get rid of the people at that point. Sure. Because as as you push the minimum wage up and up and up and up, not because the market demands it, but because the government demands it, then uh, there's going to be a lot fewer people working. Well, and we've described one way. At least doing those type of jobs. Right, and we've described one way in which uh, people uh, get cut from the rolls through a minimum wage. The second way is, let's say we're still using the same example, somebody flipping burgers, and you go from $10 an hour, say, to $15 an hour. Well, that cost has to get passed on to the consumer uh, because we have to allocate that cost per production unit. And I'm going to explain that in a moment a little bit more. So and He has to because I'm making him making tell you another story in between getting to that so you understand why he needs to say this. There you go. And so uh, now the burger goes, again, I'm making up the numbers, uh, of course, from $5 to $6. So many people say, okay, I can pay the $6, and they will. And I would. But there's some people... Whatever the price increase is, it's going to force some people out of purchasing. Well, if you force some people out of purchasing, then the producer makes fewer hamburgers and therefore lays off some workers. So that's the other way in which we lose some workers as a consequence of minimum wage. So I say to everyone, when I discuss this in class, when I discuss it on your show, Dave, when I discuss it anywhere else, I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. If you're the guy who keeps his job and goes from 10 to $15 an hour, it's good for you. Absolutely. If you're the guy that loses his job, it ain't so good. So you can make whatever moral judgment you want about minimum wage. But what we can say is that in its entirety, minimum wage will reduce the number of workers. That then, So you'll, you'll get a number of responses. One response that you'll get from some folks is, I read a study somewhere that says it doesn't. Nonsense. Not nonsense that you read it. I'm sure somebody wrote it. It's wrong. Oh, well, how do you? It's wrong. I'm not going to debate it's it. it's basic economics. It's basic economics. I mean, if you put quarters on the table and you figure out how to distribute them and then you play a model game of minimum wage, you'll see what happens. So it's just nonsense. There's one well-known study in New Jersey that's just totally flawed, which is the one most people rely on. And it's embarrassing that they rely on it. All right. We got to get to traffic before we do. I just got notification that the governor is holding a news conference uh, today at 1130 at state capitol to uh, discuss the state strategy to address the COVID-19, also known as coronavirus. So he's going to get out in front, talk to you, hopefully put you at ease. Remember what I said, you can be aware, but don't be anxious. There's nothing, there's only 60 cases in the entire country. Nobody has died from it in the United States, but a lot of people died from the flu. So wash your hands, sneeze into the crook of your arm, and uh, stay home if you're sick. That's the three things you can really do to help the situation. All right, let's get to the traffic. I know you need that. It's uh, still... 
38 degrees here in Little Rock. Let's take a break here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, so let's go back. And uh, we were talking during the break, and that has to be, what do you do if you're trying to sell burgers and it costs you $10? We're just going to use numbers. Round numbers, yes. $10 to make a burger, uh, but you can only sell it for 5 do right. you keep making making burgers or not? Well, that's exactly the right question, Dave. A lot of folks I've talked to about minimum wage say to me, well, why can't you take the money from profits to pay the workers? Why can't you take it from the more senior workers to pay the workers that are making the burgers? Well, in any event, you've got to calculate the actual cost of producing the burger, right? And that's the cost of the meat and the cost of the labor. And if we just keep it simple, let's keep it just those two. Forget about overhead. Forget about everything else. But, of course, all that gets added in and the cost to make a burger let's say just to keep the math simple is ten dollars that is the cost of the meat plus the hourly rate spent on the burger meaning it doesn't take an hour to make a burger but let's say you make 10 burgers in an hour again to keep the math simple so one tenth of the hourly wage gets applied to each burger that's a cost of the burger to the producer yes If he can't sell it for more than that, he's not going to produce it. And remember, I told you, you take one-tenth of the hourly wage, so if it's $15 an hour, you take $1.50 and you apply it to the burger. And some some folks have said to me, well, why can't you subsidize that worker's pay so you only allocate $5 of his pay to the burger? So let me jump in before you answer that. Yes, All right. So what... You're saying is not only should I have to chuck out my money to buy the burger, but I should be taxed so that the business can be subsidized to keep that person working. Well, it's even it's even more than that. The business owner is only going to produce an item on which he makes money. So if a lot of folks have said to me, well, why can't we just pay from other sources Put aside what that means for a moment. From other sources, that minimum wage worker to make sure he has, quote, a living wage and then not pass on that cost to the consumer. Why would you enter into a business where you where you sell a burger for five dollars and it costs you ten dollars to make because you've got to go to this other source, meaning your pocket to subsidize the salary of the minimum wage worker? If you are the burger maker, if you're McDonald's, you'll shut down. You will literally make more money by not selling burgers than you will by selling burgers. It's the old joke, right? You know, the the old joke about the the bad businessman, he goes, well, we're losing a dollar per unit. And um, what should we do? And his bad business uh, partner says, well, we'll just make it up in volume, right? Of course, you just keep selling at a loss. You never make it up. And that's what a lot of these folks who discuss these points, don't seem to understand. They don't understand economics. Right, it's, but it's basic math. If it costs you more to produce... That's the problem. They went through right. public school. Well, whatever the, the the source is, if it costs you more to produce the item than, it, than you're making on the item, you stop making the item. And then the guy who's getting that minimum wage to make the item that you're no longer ma- making, don't get no minimum wage! He doesn't get anything! No. Because he's out of work. Yeah, he's gone. Now, to be clear, is and that everyone? He's on the no. dole with the government. It's not everyone. Some people will make more money. So you 
get to make your moral judgment as to whether it's better to have some people lose their jobs and some people make more money. So what you're telling me is that we're going to bring the idea of health care for all to all business. It's it, There's certainly because a Because some people are going right. to die right. if you have health care for all because there's only so, and this is something people don't understand, there's only so many resources that you have available. Well, Bloomberg said this quite openly. He yeah, said, just well, last week. Right, right. He said, well, if you're 92 and you get prostate cancer, we'll just send you home to die. Yes. Guess he, what? He said it nicer than that, all uh, right, but it, uh, that's exactly what it, it was. That's even worse, right? You know, yeah. when they when they lead you to, to death, uh, it, it's like soiling green and you get it's to watch. Like, it's like when a baby is still born after an abortion and they give it comfort care which means they wrap it up in a freaking uh, blanket and put it on a table and put it in a corner and let it die it's that's real. comfort comfort care. care yeah well i don't if i'm 92 and i have prostate cancer and i can survive the treatment thank you very much i'll make that decision whether or not i want that treatment and this is in the of course we all know there are plenty of people who live well past 92 but of course bloomberg decided this arbitrary death date well, because he's got, you know, 60-something billion dollars. He doesn't have to worry about right. it. He'll go to a foreign country and get whatever yeah, he'll, health he'll service he needs. get whatever he needs. Well, he's, that, got, he's got the necessary money. Right, right. This is the whole point, right? When Warren makes her claims about Buttigieg, when Bloomberg makes his claim about health care, they want one system for you, Dave, and a different system for themselves because they're hypocrites oh, the and liars. Always exactly gets what they want. I mean, all you got to do go back and read a, just a just, just just a little bit of history. I know some people don't like to read history, but go take a look at the Soviet Union and the people at the top. Remember those really cool houses that they yeah. lived in. Everybody else is living in little shacks and little cubicles. Not them. That's right. Not and they had cars. Oh, they were, and they it was were American cars, not Russian-made cars for the most part. <clears throat> they were loaded because every time you have a governmental system that determines who wins and who loses, who gets the spoils and who does not, those in, c- in control of distrib- distributing those spoils always seem to be the ones that get them. Yeah, here's the key. In, uh, you have a chance. You have a chance with capitalism to get to the top. All right. There's always going to be haves and have-nots. Always. Will always be. In fact, under socialism, I'll tell you that the haves will even have more than the haves in capitalism for the most part. Well, the disparity for sure will be greater. And this is the problem when you have people like Bernie deciding what you should have. Before he was a millionaire, you shouldn't be a millionaire. That's right. You shouldn't be a billionaire. Before right. he had three if houses. If he makes a billionaire, you shouldn't be a trillionaire. Right. Before he had three <laughs> houses, you shouldn't have three houses. Now he has three houses, and it's okay to have three houses. Yeah, you can have three houses. It's fine. These people are hypocrites and liars. Have always been. That's right. Always. It, it's, it's, it's the way it works. And let me also remind you that socialism is nothing but the bridge between capitalism and communism, or between freedom and and full-on authoritarian totalitarianism. Folks don't seem to understand, at least in the Democratic Party, that socialism really is simply a hybrid, as you say, Dave, by the way, between capitalism and communism. 
So, oh, well, it's not communism. No, because it's not entirely communism. It's just part communism. It's like light beer. It's not really beer. It's just part beer and a lot of water. So that's the notion that, oh, well, it's it's a, th- a third animal. It's totally different. No, it's not different at all. It's just the movement towards communism where some capitalism still exists. In other words, where some private business still exists. But the government starts to take over. And they tell <clears throat> them how they can run their business. Often is the but case. you right? can still own your business. Right. And they and but they they take over certain aspects of business yes. entirely, like healthcare, entirely yeah. run by the government. This is the way it's got to go. I mean, I look. We had R.G. Hopper's on this show every sure. Monday during the Power Panel, and he, he you you mentioned healthcare. He goes crazy, right? Because right? he gives his workers healthcare, right? And uh, it just keeps doubling on him. And if they ever say they're going to go to Medicare for all, he's going to, he's already said he might leave the business. Right. You know, he just can't continue doing it. He can't continue doing it. However, though, all that we're talking right now, if you sit down and talk to somebody, I won't say everybody, I won't even say 25 or 75%. All right. I will say there's a huge sizable minority, a large minority, that for whatever, all of this does not compute in any way, shape, or form because they have been so taught so hard, they have been propagandized so well that they just you're blind. Right. Well, that's like the discussion we just had about the minimum wage where people say, well, take the money from somewhere else. If it costs you more money to make the burger than you make in selling the burger and you're in private business, you're not going to sell the burger. But that's not the reason. You're not in business to make a profit, Robert. I've heard this. Yeah. So don't think I'm making this up. I've heard I have people call me up. Businesses exist. Excuse me. Exist to give people a job. But since... It's still voluntary, Where did that and come you have from? to risk your money to open a business. Why would people do it? They would just say, oh, okay, well, let someone else give them a job because I'm going out of business. I'll make more money not being in business because being in business causes me to lose money. So why would anybody pursue that? Yeah, I might want to make – I might be <clears throat> be talked into taking less money to give my workers more money as long as I can stay in business and make a little bit and be able to live myself. But if I can't live on what well, I'm doing, then I'm I'm done. I'm out. And, and so is everybody else. And moreover, nonetheless, if the cost of production is greater than what you can sell an item for, you simply won't produce it. So you can adjust the employee's wages as long as those wages still are below the cost of production. Once they rise above the cost of production, no business person, no business person will continue in that business. You know what does stay in that business? A business owned by the government, a socialist business or a communist business. That's why communism failed, because they continued to spend more than they took in in production. And eventually you run out of other people's money to spend. All right. We're down to just a few moments, so let me give you a heads up. Uh, Tuesday, of course, uh, Elizabeth will be here with me, and the Bible guys will be here with me, and we'll do our typical show from 6A until 9A. Then, 
At 8 o'clock in the evening, I'll have my tush firmly implanted in this chair. Elizabeth will be back. Robert will be here. And J.R. Davis will be here. And uh, we'll keep you up to date on the primary and who who won what and, and who didn't win. And, of course, the judges' races are the most important at this time uh, because this is their general election. Now, there are some... Uh, primary races that are like a general election in that they don't have any person challenging them, whoever wins the primary in the general. So Right. Well, that's, and that's the Dan Sullivan up and there Cooper. In Jonesboro. Right, exactly. And then you've got uh, the one that's going on between um, uh, David Ray and, and the challenger that he has. That's right. Whoever wins that probably is going to win the race because there's just a couple of independents that's running. Don't and have also, much of a it, isn't the same situation essentially with Alan Clark? Yeah, I think so. Right. I think there is somebody on the Democrat side, but uh, not one I'm, that's I'm going to win. predict Alan Clark's going to win. Yeah, run away. Yeah, it's going to be a runaway. I think Sullivan's going to win. It will be. A but con- you got to get out. It's going to be contested. You need to go out and vote. Vote early by Saturday, just because it's going to rain and, so hard on Tuesday, I think. And there's early voting, I think, on Monday as oh, well. Oh, there is, okay. Yeah, and so, but check with your polling stations and find out when there's early voting, because it may continue, depending where you are, well into um, next week. But take a look. Yeah, I already voted. I'm done. I'm, I already know who I who I wanted, and I voted, and I'm going to upset uh, Thurman, the uh, superintendent over in Cabot. I voted against the uh, increase for the schools. Good. I'm tired of constantly uh, being overtaxed. And they say, well, we need the money. All right. Well, guess what? I'm, I'm getting a lot of tax dollars. Govern. Taken. Yeah, go- govern. Go- Here's the pot of money you get already. Find it in there. Now govern. That's All right. right. Thanks, Robert. Thank you, my Appreciate friend. Appreciate it. Remember, his, God bless. his opinions are his and his alone, not that of the school of law. With that said, I'll see you on Monday. Remember, God gave you a whole week of life. You give him a day this weekend on Sunday or Saturday, your preference for going out and worshiping.